Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. And welcome to Soul to Soul. I'm Rabbi Ari. It's great to be with you here this beautiful afternoon. And today we are talking about the festival of Shavuot that is swiftly approaching. We've got next week we are going to be celebrating the holiday of Shavuot. Now, Shavuot might be a short holiday. In Israel, it's only one day. Here in the diaspora, it is two days. There's not very many ceremonial rituals. It's not like Pesach, where we have a Savior and all the cleaning and cooking and preparations and everything else that we have to do in preparation for the holiday. Or Hanukkah, where we're lighting the menorah. Yes, cheesecake is delicious, but doesn't quite make the cut. No pun intended. Yet, it is, in its own way, the most important Jewish holiday of the year. It is the day that God gave us the Torah. And if not for that, where would we be today? If not for Shavuos, there would be no Pesach, and no Hanukkah, and no High Holidays, and Purim. We would have no Shofar, no Matzah, no Shabbos, no Shul. We'd have no Jewish past and no Jewish future, no heritage and no destiny. This holiday of Shavuos, next week, celebrates the foundation of all of Judaism. And therefore, it's a good idea that we familiarize ourselves with the events and the impact of this important holiday. And that is what I would like to do with you today. And if you have any questions, feel free to send me a personal WhatsApp, 079-434-1293, and I will try to answer any questions related to the, ho- to the holiday, the festival of Shavuot. So let's begin with the event that led to the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai just six weeks ago. We celebrated Pesach. Pesach, of course, commemorates our exodus from Egypt, from slavery, from bondage. And after that emancipation, what happened was six weeks over, well, let's say seven weeks, there were lots of events that occurred to the Jewish people 3,332 years ago. First, after the exodus, there was the splitting of the sea. Just a few days later, the Egyptians said, what are we, crazy? We let our domestic workforce go. And so they pursued the Jews, and here the Jews are between Egypt and the sea, not knowing what to do, all this drama and anxiety. Well, we know what happens at the end, thank God. Miracle, the splitting of the sea, and we learn a powerful lesson of the Nachshon ben Aminadab, the man who took the plunge and jumped into the sea. And so we celebrate that on the seventh day of Pesach, with all our gratitude and excitement. And, of course, there's a symbolism in our lives. Pesach symbolizes breaking free from our own personal challenges, bondage, difficulties. And Shavish, or Pesach, that was six weeks ago, is when we celebrated the... Actually, it was five weeks ago. When we celebrate the splitting of the sea, the opportunities that we face where we could go beyond our limits. If we think about the many incidents and events that occurred throughout history, I'm talking about specifically then. The Jews were, were running out of provisions, and God provided the manna, and then there were other events. They ran out of water, and God formed a freshwater spring in a rock that was travel with them for 40 years. And then there was the skirmish with the tribe of Amalek, who attacked the Jewish people unprovoked, there were many events, and we're going to discuss all that which led to Shavuot. 
Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. And we're back right here on 101.9 Hi FM. Soul to Soul, I'm Rabbi Ari Keatman. Today we're talking about preparation for Shavuot, just one week away. What an exciting, great holiday for me personally, the day I came to this world. But it's not only my birthday and my son's birthday. What a wonderful birthday present that was. It's also the day that the Jewish people were born, because it's the time when we received the Torah at Mount Sinai. And perhaps we should discuss some of the significance related to that, because after all, that is what we celebrate on Shavuot. And so let us just analyze some of the insights related to Shavuot. You see, firstly, the Jews were not the only ones, according to the Medrash, that were offered the Torah by God. According to Medrash Sifri, God offered the Torah to all the nations of the world, but they refused it. Each nation had a different reason why it didn't work for them. And us Jews, we asked, how much? Just kidding. That's just a joke. But after offering the Torah to the other nations, that's when God went to the Jews. This is what the Medrash says, and what was our response, which is, specifically recorded in the Torah, this is not a medrash, we responded, Na'aseh, we will do, the Nishma, and we will hear, and notice that the Na'aseh, we will do, came first, because Torah is about action. We accepted whatever God said, even without knowing what it would be, even without knowing the details of what it entails, without necessarily understanding what the Torah would be. We were committing to observe it, regardless of our understanding, and the truth is, that is the way we have to relate to Torah. Not to perform the mitzvahs because they make sense to us, but rather, we should be doing this, we do it because God said so, because God gave it to us, because of God's instruction. Now, why did our ancestors accept this, say, binding, life-altering document without even knowing what it is inside it, without even checking what it was? Suppose if someone were to ask you to commit to a contractual agreement for a lifetime of service, whatever it might be, it will cover every facet of your life in intricate detail. Would you accept it without reading the contract? My lawyer always says, don't read, don't sign the contract until you read the whole Megillah, right? You got to read all the fine print. So would you accept such a deal? But that's what our ancestors did. They accepted this offer from God. And we today, when we celebrate Shavuot, we are upholding, we are reaffirming our vows of accepting the Torah as well. And this is, the Gemara tells us, in a sense, our ancestors, the patriarchs and matriarchs, also kept the Torah before God gave it, including the rabbinic commandment, such as Eros Hafshilim. But still, the Talmud explains there's a big difference between someone doing something voluntarily versus one who's doing it in a compulsory way. It all of a sudden becomes obligatory. Any infractions, any violation of the Torah now becomes punishable. So why would they enter into an agreement that doesn't seem to offer any new benefits? On the contrary, there's only drawbacks. And this is something we're going to discuss as well, because 
this is what it means to commit ourselves to Torah. When you fly on an airplane back in better days, maybe soon we'll have the opportunity once again. And the pilot wants to make an announcement. Usually to begin, ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking, blah, blah, blah. They don't start off with, I am your captain. But if we analyze the Ten Commandments, we see it's quite different. They don't begin with, this is your God speaking. Rather, it starts off, Anochi Hashem I am the Lord your God. The word I, our sages tell us, conveys our very essence. It can't be captured in a word or a picture. Not broad or tall or beautiful or bold. Not fat or slim or fit or trim. Adjectives can describe our outer elements. The I represents my quintessence. It cannot be described or defined. It is just me. And in fact, the Zohar tells us that the word Anochi is an acronym for which means God put its very essence into the Torah. At my core, there's only me. No one else exists in that place. It is my space. Remember before Facebook was my space? It's my space where only I can be. And maybe that's why my space didn't work, because my space symbolizes my essence, my place that no one else is welcome. There's no regard for others there. That's why you need a Facebook. It's about superficiality. It's about what's on the outside. My space is what I don't share with others. That's my hypothesis of why my space went mahalat, didn't work. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. And welcome back to Soul to Soul. I'm Rabbi Ari Kievman. It seems that we got a little bit cut off there. Well, that's technology these days. Who knows? Like I said, my space didn't work because my space is meant to be one's individual private space, the place where I guess one's quintessence, one's one without regard for others. That's your space where I think we all have a space like that and we guard it and protect it. We don't share it with others. We don't let anyone else in. That's not this space. This is Chai FM, where we broadcast and share with you on Soul to Soul insights from the Torah portion of the week and ideas that we could apply in our lives. And, of course, we have to seize the opportunity when technical difficulties arise to learn from them and to apply the message and lesson for ourselves. Well, this, what I was saying before, was that Facebook is more about a superficial aspect the idea that I'm saying is, yes, um, on social media, we might interact with others and uh, we might find groups where we have similar interests and all types of, you know, superficial connections and relationships. And the truth is we have different levels of friendships, friends who we interact with socially. We, of course, have deeper levels, maybe our family who we interact with more emotionally. And then right here great radio show that you could tune in every day and learn from wonderful teachers in the community. You could connect intellectually. There's work colleagues who we we probably connect with professionally. But I don't think any of that is the true, real us. The person who's social, the person who's intellectual, the person who's emotional. 
that person doesn't truly come out. That's not the person who is on the social media, the face that you see, the face that, and I got a lot of pet peeves about social media in general. That is, that is one aspect of ourselves. But I think there's a much deeper, deeper aspect. And when God introduced himself at Mount Sinai, he didn't introduce himself by a title or a name. God did not reveal an external aspect, the Facebook, the superficial, the extension of himself. You know what's so powerful and amazing about Shavuos? When God revealed himself at Mount Sinai, God showed his very essence, his very self. God showed his glory, his grandeur, beauty. But that was all secondary. The idea that I want to articulate is that God expressed Anochi. Anochi is the very essence, the real me, the real unadulterated, unmitigated, unadorned me. And what came next after the word Anochi? That's when came Hashem Elokecha, the Lord your God, which of course, if you study them and understand, there are multiple names of God. God's name of kindness and God's name of severity and God's compassion. That's where you had varying levels of interaction and engagement with the world. But the beginning, what did God start with? Anochi, the very, very essence. And that I think is something we have to consider. Why did God share that part of himself that no one shares? And just to think that we're in this period now of counting the Omer, preparation for Shavuos. And we count with excitement every single day. We're counting the days toward Shavuos like a bride or groom count toward their wedding. There's that anticipation, that excitement that we're getting ready for the day. And in, indeed, that is the metaphor that the Talmud employs about Shavuos. Because the day that God gave us the Torah... This day, like I said before, we're reaffirming our vows with God because this is like the marriage of God and the Jewish people. This is a day that you reveal your very essence. With whom do you do so? Only with your spouse. Intimacy, into me, see. That's with whom you share that private, sacred space. Only with your spouse. And that is what God gave us at Mount Sinai. You think of a wedding. What's so special about a wedding? And especially these days where the weddings, those that do happen, I don't know of any happening locally, but abroad, weddings these days have become very minimalistic. Bride and groom, a few essential guests, and that's all. They have backyard weddings and drive-by weddings. And we come to realize that the wedding is not the main thing. It's not about the party and the decorations and the floral arrangements and the venue and the catering and all that is superficial and external. The main aspect of the wedding is the marriage. And that's what we celebrate on Shavuos. Of course, it's important that we have some nice cheesecake and you get good floral arrangements, but that's all superficial and external. The main thing we ought to be focusing on on this Shavuos is our personal and intimate relationship with God, because that is exactly what Shavuos is to celebrate. And you think of a marriage, you know, a man and a woman, they've been perfectly free before. They're living their own independent lives. Why would you do this 
to yourself. Become inventor to each other. Right? Why is that so exciting? Why are we celebrating? And the answer is that they're not throwing away their freedom. A couple are establishing a personal connection. There are many types of relationships, but none compare to the depth and the grandeur of a marriage. And the idea, yes, there are many other types of relationships that you might have with friends, with colleagues, with coworkers, but that's nothing like a marriage relationship. We don't share that same space with our friends, with anyone else in our life as we do with our spouse. And our spouse is the only one who I could think of who's really truly invited into our deepest self, even our children. We don't want the children invading certain spaces in our life. So that space that we keep really reserved, that was the idea that God brought us into that space. And if we think of a wedding as so joyous because two people invite each other into their space, God was inviting us on Shavuos, 3,332 years ago, into that space at Mount Sinai. And our sages taught that the day we received the Torah was exactly that. The Gemara in Tractatina says that this was the day of the betrothal between God and the Jewish people. When God opened with those words, Anochi Hashem Alekecha, I am God your God, God was telling us that this is a personal relationship I will have with you. He said, I want to be one with you. God was offering us a relationship. And it's our opportunity now on Shavuos to reaffirm that relationship with God. So what was our answer when God proposed? Yes, we declared Nasev and Ishma. We want to be your people. If this is the proposal, we accept it. And so, in fact, we even alluded to that earlier because what we described before, Shvi'i Pesach, when we celebrate the splitting of the sea, what was the song we sang? We say it in our prayers every day. In Az Yashri, we say, Zekeli, this is my God. They didn't say this is our God. They said, this is my God. Each individual desired a personal relationship with God. And so, when God offered this deep relationship on Shavuos, we accepted. Our ancestors were thrilled with that offer. And I think this is exactly what we have to be doing now, is accepting offer. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. And welcome back to Soul to Soul. I am Rabbi Ari Kivman. And let us go back to our discussion about Shavuos. Why did our ancestors accept a lifetime contract of service? What we were discussing earlier, if somebody offered you this contract, would you sign it just like that without reading the contract? That's exactly what our ancestors did. And in a sense, Talmud tells us every Jewish soul that was destined to live, that means you and I, all of us existing today, were part of this. And we also accepted this offer then. So what were we thinking? Right? If we're honest about it, we know that in our personal lives, we would never accept that. So why did our ancestors and our souls who were there then as well, why did we accept this lifelong agreement? 
And with such enthusiasm and excitement and happy to do it, we said, Na we're delighted to do this. Why would we do that? And so, I'm sure you realize this is very much related to marriage. If you think about it, marriage is the same kind of arrangement. We're talking here about the romance and the beauty of a marriage. But we said it's more important to focus on the marriage than the wedding. When we get married, truth be told, we have no idea what type of requests or expectations that our spouse might have from us. And even if we know each other well before we get married, you know, there are certain parts of our personality that don't really surface until after the marriage. All of a sudden, you see her without the makeup, you see he's a mess. I don't have to elaborate, everyone knows in their own lives what secrets come out afterwards. And even if you do know each other really well enough, we know that we we change over time. And the truth is, that's human beings. We have to change. It's the only way we grow, right? And hopefully our spouse is the same, changing in, in different ways. Are you the same as you were 10 years ago or even five years ago? Hopefully even different than last year. In a sense, every day we have to change. We have to grow. We have to become better people. So the very definition of marriage is that no matter what our spouse might need, we are committed to be there for them. We are committed to them. It's a lifetime agreement, and we're happy to take it on. Why are you happy to take it on? For what reason? Because marriage is not a commitment to a service. It is a commitment to a person. And because each one is touched by the by each other, by the very core, husband and wife don't see things for each other as, as a burden, but it's an opportunity to make each other happy. Right? The greatest gift you could give to the person who loves you is the chance to really, truly make them happy. And the greatest gift you could give in return to reciprocate is to bring happiness to each other. So it's not a sentence that robs us of our freedom. You know, they say, what's the longest two-word sentence? I do. Marriage is a platform. It grants us the deepest form of freedom. The freedom to touch each other at the deepest level. And of course, you know, think for example, a stranger asks you to do a favor for them. Right? Sometimes, not you, but others feel that it's a burden. Hi. You focused on the favor. But what happens when your spouse asks you to do something? Don't you feel it's a privilege, an honor? Right? We want to do what our spouse asks us to do, even if it's not what we were planning to do. Ask you to go to the shop and return something. It's out of the way. Well, if someone's a stranger, it's a burden. But if it's your spouse, it's a privilege. It's an honor. And so... When we're doing something for our spouse and we realize, ah, it's such an honor to do this, that is perhaps the definition of commitment in a relationship. And maybe this is the best way to illustrate that when God introduced himself at Mount Sinai and God offered a relationship with us at the very deepest level of, as we described the idea of anochi, God put his happiness in our hands by giving us a way to make him happy, right? 
in the in in Rashi. Rashi tells us that God says, "I take pleasure when I ask, and my will is done." Nasaritani. So the commandments are not just the right way for us to behave. They're not just acts that perfect ourselves and refine us and and make a better environment, but rather. When we are doing what God wants, we are coming closer to God. And we are forging a connection with God. In fact, the very word mitzvah, most people think it means a good deed. Well, that's totally wrong. I mean, it's good to do a mitzvah, but that's not the meaning of the word mitzvah. The word mitzvah, more precisely translated as a commandment. But more deeply, it means a connection. Because when you do something for your loved one, you are thereby reinforcing your bond and connection with them. And likewise, we do something for God. When we do a mitzvah, we are reinforcing our bond, our connection with Hashem. So when God offered us this whole list of do's and don'ts, yeah, we accepted it. We said, Nasa v'nishmar. We accept we do it. We didn't see it as burdens because we realized this is how we Enhance a genuine, real relationship with God. That is the idea behind it. So God is telling us that what we do matters to them. If, if your spouse told you that something you do hurts them, would you not be considerate? Would you not be sensitive to their feelings? And God is saying that what we do matters. All of, of all the creatures to think of everything in the world, God says you are what matters to me most. That we make God happy or sad by our actions. And that's the unique distinction that we, that we have when we fulfill God's will in this world. It, it wouldn't matter to God if, you know, it wouldn't matter to us even. You know, your spouse asks you to do something, doesn't matter what it is. We do it because that's what our spouse asks us to do. So when God asked the other nations, will you receive the Torah? Well, the Medrash says each nation had a different answer. What's in it? We're not sure. But when God proposed to us, we said, oh yes. We'll be right back. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. And welcome back to Soul to Soul, I'm Rabbi Ari Kiefman. Well, we learned that people, we said earlier that we were in this a relationship with God, and that's what God offered us when we received the Torah at Mount Sinai. And indeed, as we're going to celebrate Shavuos next week, this is reaffirming our vows and our commitment in that relationship with God. So in the little bit of remaining time, let us take this relationship a little deeper. Let's try to analyze a little bit of the commandments themselves. And think about it. When God introduced himself to us, he selected the, God selected 10 out of the 613 commandments to present at Sinai. The 10 commandments have lots of rules and regulations, right? Prohibitions against murder, about theft. So while we realize, when we recognize the infinite value of life and the horrible crime of taking a life, we can't help but wonder why this belongs in the Ten Commandments. 
are those fundamental principles of faith to think about things of immorality? And the truth is that the Ten Commandments is not just the ten most important commandments in the Torah, but they lay out the ingredients of a relationship with God. Before we talk about our relationship with God, let's talk about your relationship with your family. Did you know that Slices Pizza is working through the lockdown and delivering free to most areas? Hot and delicious Chalav Yisrael pizzas delivered to your door. The minimum order is 135 Rand, so call them now at 067-168-6744 and WhatsApp orders are welcome. And then you enhance your relationship with your family. But let's talk about our relationship with God. We said God wants a personal relationship with us, right? With every single one of us. Now, we all know ourselves and we all know our family and our friends. And there are some people who might have inclinations that aren't exactly the most refined. That's the nature of the beast. And the truth is, if we look at the commandments, we describe this as the proposal. Then the truth is that God wasn't just talking to the righteous. God wasn't just talking to the saintly. God was talking to all of us. Every single one of us. Even those who are inclined to murder, even those who are inclined to adultery, the lowest of the low, who might otherwise behave in inappropriate ways, guess what? God wants a relationship with them as well. And so if we can work on refining ourselves, because that's what you do for your spouse. When perhaps a person has a desire to steal or cheat because that's what they do, but curbs that desire because they want to make God happy, and God is touched at the highest level. Really? Right? Can something so small touch God? Are we heroes for simply not being villains? And the answer is, that there is a lot to be admired about setting aside our, perhaps, base desires to do what God wants, to make God happy. Because that's what you do in a relationship. But that's only the first step. At Sinai, God showed us that there's another deeper level in a relationship. If we want to really make God happy, and we hold back on our inappropriate behaviors... And if we detest, not just avoid, but we really truly detest because that's what God detests. God tells us his desire in the Ten Commandments. And we don't get involved in revenge or anger or hatred because God, whom we love, detests them. And God tells us that. Then we could come to enjoy and not just engage in, but we could appreciate forgiveness and peace and love because God, whom we love, enjoys those too. And then we will enjoy the very things that God enjoys because this is a relationship. It's a real relationship. And when you do things for your spouse, when you do what makes your spouse happy, then your relationship doesn't fall in love but grows in it. And this is the vision that God gave us at Mount Sinai 3,332 years ago when giving us the Torah. God says, I want a loving relationship with you. The highest and the lowest. It's like a spouse, a husband or wife saying to each other, you know, I know you have flaws. I know you have shortcomings. I understand you're a human being. Maybe that's why we break the glass because and say mazel tov, because you're human. And I accept that. And that's the idea. 
that we are accepting each other. God is accepting us. God understands. Yes, we have inclinations that might not be so righteous or so pious. But guess what? When each time you do something that makes the other spouse and the relationship happy, you are enhancing that relationship. So when we abstain from doing something that makes them sad, we're enhancing that relationship. And if you look at the Ten Commandments, there are rules that are between man and God, and there are rules between a man and man, because those, the way we treat our fellow human being, the way you treat your spouse's siblings and family is part of that relationship. And so this is the idea is that we are working on enhancing that relationship in every aspect and facet. And you know something? Sometimes we might make mistakes. Sometimes we might fall in the relationship. Sometimes, as human beings, we're going to do things that aren't appropriate. In a healthy relationship, we work it through. The only time a divorce is called for is when it's really, truly abusive, when it's not really fixable. But in our relationship with God, that's impossible because it's the deepest of deep relationships. So let's conclude today's discussion realizing, and I hope by focusing on this marriage aspect of the relationship with God, we realize how important Shavuos is. And so with a week left to Shavuos, it starts exactly one week from today. Let's use this time to prepare as our ancestors prepared for Shavuos back then. There were three days of preparation. Let's deepen our relationship with God as you would with your spouse. And God will deepen that relationship with us. And hopefully we will merit tremendous blessings. And I'm sure there's some message that God has. I'm not the one who could tell us what that message is at this moment. But there is some message that God's telling us. And when your spouse has a message for you, you ought to listen. And sometimes it's only a hint or a week. But there is some message here. Please, God, next week, next Thursday, Erev Shavuos will go a little bit deeper and get ready for Shavuos from Matan Torah to enhance this relationship. For now, my dear friends, wish you a great Shabbos, Chodesh Tov, Shabbat Shalom, and Carpe Diem. See you every moment you've got.